team. How are you guys doing? Good. Excellent. This is not an Outward Journey series. Oh. Isn't that amazing? So I realized I wanted to talk about this topic so much that I just wrote the sermon, and I was actually supposed to talk about this next week, but I was so excited I wrote it. And I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm a week ahead. So we're talking about it this week. And next week, I'm going to pick something else I want to talk about, which will also be fun. But this is a pre-New Year's, New Year's sermon. And I, I wrote Planning for Chronos because it's really dramatic. But actually, the title of the slideshow I made was Me versus Chronos around 2018, which is how it feels. So what in the world am I talking about? Who's heard the word chronological, chronos? It means time. Do I have any other fellow... Greek mythology nerds that knows Kronos is also a, a character that's been personified to mean time. Well, let's go ahead and talk about who this dude is. He's going to be our bad guy, okay? Kronos is our bad guy boo. for this series. Boo, everybody can boo Kronos. Boo, and he's coming for us. Okay, Kronos has come to mean chronological time. It represents it. And I actually learned in researching this, doing some, some internet research, I thought, let's not just go what I know, you know with what I know for sure. Let's maybe learn something new. And I did, in fact, learn that there are originally two different dudes in Greek mythology, a titan named Cronus, and then the god of time, Cronos. And they intentionally started to mix the two because they started to realize that this nasty, bad, evil titan guy that had a bad habit of devouring his own children, gross, <laughs> actually signified time pretty darn well. So the merger of the two, by the Renaissance period, came to be represented by a grizzled, gnarly old man, sometimes holding, you know, an hourglass, sometimes with a scythe. He's Father Time, but he's not the Father Time of the cartoons. This is a bad dude. He's coming for you and every other living soul, and he means erosion, destruction, disintegration, and ultimately, when Kronos has his way, and he will, death. And I've got some bad news. It might be a new year, but it's the same old, nasty Kronos. Who, who grew up on the Warner Brothers cartoons where they'd have the baby as the new year, and then the old year was like the old guy who was like dying? Well, we, we kind of made up the baby, right? We're like, yay, it's 2018, it's a new year. But the hard fact is that tomorrow I will be 365 days older than I was at that date last year, and the day after that, 366 days older. It doesn't start over, it just kind of continues. And this bad dude, Kronos, he doesn't, he doesn't go away and get replaced by a new baby. He's still coming for you. Some of us are starting to realize this more and more, and it's, it's kind of a serious thing. It can be a sober thing, and we're going to discover later that that's actually okay, and that can be a good thing. But you know what? I'm, I'm now closer to 40 than 30, and I'm realizing, my goodness, I never thought that would happen. I don't know what I expected. I guess I expected some sort of weird magic where I'd be 22 forever. But I started waking up in the middle of the night when I was 25, wondering why I was so anxious about stuff. Am I alone in this? And you start to realize, I'm not 18 anymore. And then you realize I'm not 20 anymore. And then you realize I'm not 25. I'm now realizing I'm not 30 anymore. I'm not 35 anymore. What's going on? You know, I can't squat what I used to squat. I can't run what I used to run. And it's not, it's not my imagination. It's not because I don't try. I need to pamper myself a little bit more. We need a little more stretching time, you know? Yoga is starting to be something I don't just make fun of. I'm starting to think maybe there's, there's some solutions there. The old IT bands, you know? The fitness YouTube videos I watch are starting to change. 
It's not, you know, how to increase your bench max. It's like what to do for a sore hip flexor. It's like it's weird <laughs> what happens. And I blame this guy. Me? You, Leonard Duke. No, I blame our antagonist here, Kronos, that nasty guy with the hourglass. It's time, man. Time. None of us are immune. And in 2018, we're going to have more of the same. I promise. You don't have to be a prophet to know what's coming next year. You do not have to be Isaiah or Ezekiel, because I'll tell you. Last year and the year before that, empirically proven every single year of human existence going back to the beginning, good stuff happened and some bad stuff happened. And some of that good stuff was really good. And some of that bad stuff was really, really, really bad. Last year we all probably got a phone call or had an encounter that we didn't see coming, and we left giddy. And some of us probably got a phone call or had an encounter or had an accident or got a notification or saw an email that forever changed the entire landscape of our lives in a bad way. Some of the things that came out of left field and were so bad, we're actually we're in a state of recovery. We don't feel like we can get that person back that we were in 2016 or before that happened in 2017. Things are different. And I'm going to tell you the truth. In 2018, you can expect that too. Absolutely. Things are going to come out of left field. You will be different. Things are going to be good. And things are going to be bad. And the good and the bad will mostly be unexpected. And they absolutely, positively will come. But here's the question I want to ask. Scott Kronos, people say time is undefeated. We're going to challenge that today. But he's coming for you. There are events that he has in store in 2018. They're going to be good and nasty and bad and everywhere in between. So here's the question. How do we keep the ups and downs that are sure to come from directing our lives? How do we keep them from being the things that alter our course? You know, something really good happens, and, and that encourages you in that direction, usually. Or people say, man, that door slammed shut in my face. And then they walk away from the door. Often we don't even try to open it again. We don't even see if it's locked. Okay, so the door wasn't held for you. Well, great. Walk through it anyway. These good things and these bad things, they have a tendency to, to really change and alter us in ways that I'm going to challenge today. I don't think they should be what's in charge of directing our course. There is a way. What if I told you there is a way tonight? At least in a, a small way, to decide how you're going to face 2018 and to decide where you go, how you handle yourself. Not to let this big, bad Kronos guy be in charge of your life. And of course, the way most people try to do it, because we feel this, don't we? We feel a pressure, like things have got to be different. I've got to take charge. I've got to get in front of this thing. I don't want another one like last year. Amazing, we say that every year. And so we make resolutions. Right? But I'm going to question the whole idea of resolutions for one very simple and painfully obvious reason. Resolutions are almost always the thing that clogs the gym parking lot. No, that's not what I wanted to say. Although they are, it's very irritating in January, sometimes in early February, to find a parking spot at the gym. Wow. That's fine. No. It's true. And, and we do resent it sometimes. But resolutions are usually task-oriented. Are they not? I mean, you could say it's an activity I want to start or an activity I want to quit, but it's just a task-oriented decision. Next year, I will. 
work out. I will eat better. I will stop sleeping in so late. I will get to work early. I will read a book a month. I will go back to school. I will get a better job. I will listen to more music. I will limit my social media intake. And on and on and on and on, we go adding new tasks or taking away old ones that we think are somehow harmful to us, and yet we've hung on to them for over a year. Right? And we make these decisions, and what happens? The first wind of adversity, Protos smells that resolution, he stomps on it, and it's done, man. I don't think the resolutions are the way to take control back from this big, nasty, bad Kronos guy. I don't think it has the teeth to do anything about what he has in store. Is committing to a new activity really enough to combat what Kronos has in store for you in 2018? And of course, I'm going to say absolutely not. And now we need to talk about some bricklayers. That's right. Hopefully this will make sense presently, or else I have failed miserably. So who's heard the tired old analogy of the bricklayers? Am I alone in this? It is really a tired old story, but it's brilliant. So I'm going to tell it again. Forgive me if you've heard this a million times. But a lot of times this is used to, to show the difference between having a job, a career, and a calling. But we're going to use it slightly differently. You go back in time. You're amazing. You build a time machine. Good for you. You're going back to Europe. And you see some guys in there at work. And they all appear to be doing roughly the same thing. But, you know, you're exploring the past. So you decide to ask each one, what are you doing? So you go up to the first one, and he looks gruff, man. He looked gruff in any language and in any time, right? And he's, he's busy, and he's obviously perturbed, but you have a time machine, so you're excited. So you ask him, hey, man, what are you doing? And he looks at you and rolls his eyes. And he says, you see this? This is a brick. I put the brick here. I put mortar on the brick. I put the thing back in the mortar bucket. See this? It's a brick. I put it on the mortar. Put more mortar on the brick. Grab another brick. You're like, okay, 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 I get it. And he's like, oh, occasionally I run out of mortar, too. And I make more mortar. And I put the mortar on the brick. And I grab the brick. And I put it on the car. I get it. You're laying bricks, dude. Okay. So you see another guy farther down. And uh, he's not visibly irritated, you know. But you can't tell if he's happily content or if he's just resigned to his fate. Because they're working on something pretty big. So you go up to this guy and you say, what are you doing, man? He says, oh, I'm, I'm making this wall. Okay, that's good. He's like, yep, it's going to be so tall and so wide and so thick. All right then. So you leave him alone. He doesn't really have much to say. And then you see this other guy working by himself, whistling, happy, obviously the odd man out. And you know from your time and this time that he's that guy that gets to work early and stays late and loves every minute of it. Ugh. And you almost don't want to talk to him, but you do. And you're like, hey man, what are you doing? And he says... We're building this cathedral. We're building a cathedral. He's like, this thing's going to be here for a thousand years. And my children, my children's children are going to talk about how I was one of the dudes that got to build it. This is a very tired, very old analogy that I have embellished to great extent. But it shows something amazing. They were all doing the same darn thing. None of them were wrong. The first guy was right. You take the brick, you put it on the mortar. You put the mortar on the brick. You take the brick, you put it on the mortar. And yet all he had was a task, actually a list of tasks, correct? Everything was tedium. Take brick, put brick down, mortar on brick, get brick, put it on mortar. That's awful. That's an awful way to live. But when you live task to task and moment to moment, that's all you've got. And no wonder he and so many people we work with are just sour, man. 
just sour. All he had was a task. The second guy was a little bit better. He had a mission. He understood that what he was doing was to a purpose. He was building a wall. And, and that's good. I mean, that's certainly better than having a task. But man, is that a far cry from bricklayer number three who has a vision. We are building a cathedral. Suddenly, every brick that he places on the mortar isn't just part of a mission. It's certainly more than a task. It's a sacred duty that he's offering up to something greater than himself. And now, so many books have been written on mission and vision, and they all disagree with each other about the difference between mission and vision, that ironically, I'm on pretty safe ground saying whatever the heck I want. Everybody who writes a new book about leadership or mission or vision basically becomes Jesus. And they're like, you've heard it said, but I say to you that mission is this and vision is this. We're not going to piece apart the difference between mission and vision so much, but I want to say this. You know you've tapped into a vision when it's bigger than you, when you can, you're supposed to be able to see it and feel it and touch it. This is what success will look like. This is going to be the awesome outcome. This is what we're going for. And all of that comes along with this powerful why. You are driven by the vision to do something for this amazing, awesome thing. That a vision is the only way to describe it. You can see it even though it's not there yet. And man, that's what we're going for. And I almost don't even care if I get there or not because it's worth me running that way. That's what the third bricklayer had. Second guy, not doing too bad. Mission's better than task oriented. And the first guy, I don't go to lunch with him. Okay? That's the lesson of that. What if I told you vision was a pretty good weapon against what's happening in 2018? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this from a biblical perspective. Did you know the Bible opens up <coughs> vision versus Satan? I know it sounds like a stretch, but let's roll with this, okay? Genesis chapter 1. God makes Adam and Eve in his image, okay? They represent the ultimate authority, and their job is to be like little Yahwehs on earth. Everything was supposed to see them and think God, or the image of God. I'm not saying they were God, don't, don't get all weird on me. But you know, they're God's image. So God makes them, and then he says these words. God blesses them, and God says to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the, the birds of heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now we're going to talk about what these words mean, to subdue and to have dominion, but you know what? Basically they're gardeners. Who's heard, of, who's heard people say, well, Adam and Eve were gardeners, or Adam and Eve were farmers? But you know what God doesn't say? He says, all right now, guys, I want you to take these scissors, and this is how you tell what a productive wind is, and this is how you tell what an unproductive wind is, and you cut it here, and I want you to do this quadrant of the garden on Mondays, and then this section on Tuesdays, and this section on Wednesdays. You can quit it by the clock, all right? That's task-oriented stuff. And he doesn't just give them a mission. He doesn't say, all right, this is my stuff. Take good care of it. He says... You are here to rule and have dominion. You are here to be in charge. You are the monarchs of all I've created. And not only that, but I want you to populate it. He gives them a vision for an earth filled with their descendants that are ruling and subduing. When C.S. Lewis wrote about the creation story in his book, Par is it Paralindra? The second one in the Space Trilogy? Sure. Uh, he imagines a world that's unfallen that God just decided to create. And there's, there's two characters on this planet. 
And instead of just calling them Adam and Eve, he calls them by their role. Does anybody remember what he calls them? Ransom. Ransom is the main character. A million bonus points to you for even knowing that. But the, the people on the planet are called the king and the queen. That's what they're there to do. And they refer to each other as that because they know it. They have a vision for who they are. They understand. And God tells them, you're here to subdue and you're here to have dominion. Let's look at those words real quick and prepare to have your mind blown. This word subdue is the Hebrew word kibosh. Who's ever heard the term put the kibosh on that? Yeah. All right. I wonder if that comes from this. I think it probably does. These are from the Blue Letter Bible and these are the definitions I've got. Kibosh means to trample underfoot, to tread down, to disregard, to conquer, to subjugate, to bring into bondage, to force, to subdue, and to bring into subjection. You may already be wondering, if God created this beautiful good world, why such an extreme command? But it only gets better, because the other word, have dominion over, is the Hebrew word rada, which means to rule, have dominion, dominate, or again, for the third time, tread down. What does it mean when it says tread down? It's like when you have tall grass and you're trying to make a camping spot, right? You're literally treading it down. When you want to tread grapes to get the grape juice, it's the idea of stomping. Do you realize that if they had thought about this vision and internalized it, they would have handled the encounter with the serpent totally different. God gave them the whole context of when something might need trampling. They only had one order. Don't eat from this tree. You can have everything else you want, just don't have this. Smart mouth snake comes up and says, God's lying to you, you can eat from the tree. This might be a good time to enact your role. God gave them a vision of what their purpose was. I need you here in my garden to trample down stuff that needs to be trampled down. Enter snake, they eat the fruit. I think they understood what they were supposed to do because of their response. When God shows up and says, why did you eat? They don't say, why did you tell us there were nasty serpents? Why didn't you tell us there was stuff that was going to be bad? They don't say that, do they? Don't you find it interesting that they don't even bring it up? Hey, everything's not hunky-dory around here, God. There's some stuff that was trying to lie to you and lie to us and trick us because God would have said, what did I put you here for? You were here to trample stuff and put the kibosh on stuff. This didn't seem like an appropriate thing to trample. And yet this is how God deals with Satan, isn't it? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you, and you shall bruise his head, and, no, excuse me. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Excuse me, I think I got that wrong. Anyway, Crush. but there's this idea of crushing, stomping, treading down. We didn't do it way back when, so Jesus had to do it when he came. Wow. But the vision was enough, should have been enough, to handle the adversity that was coming. The vision God gave them of their purpose should have been enough to handle the adversity the devil was going to bring them. So I think in 2018, might be a good idea. Let's look at one more. Sadly, Kronos isn't just going to have the devil come against us in 2018. We usually come against ourselves pretty well, don't we? Oh yeah, oh my gosh. 
Let me tell you, even the most negative person is not as aware of your own deficiencies as you are. Heck, some of us make up deficiencies for ourselves and then feel bad about those too. You know, we are usually our own worst enemies. Enter the story of Abram. 75 years old, he spent 75 years learning that he and his wife cannot have children. He knows his own limitations. What happens? God shows up and says, good news, you're going to have some kids. We know the story, right? This is what God says. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who, honors, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Guys, that is not a task, nor is that a mission. That is a vision that Abraham can hang on to. Now, he got a task too, didn't he? God said, believe my vision, now get up and leave. Come with me. Go where I'll show you. Follow me. But you're not just following me to some place that you don't know. You're not following me to some vague land of do and do not. You are following me into this amazing vision that I am going to bring about. God says, Abram, childless God, you need a new vision for who you are. And let me tell you what it is. But he doesn't just hear it once, does he? God keeps showing up and telling Abram, Abraham, after he changes his name, changes his name, says you're going to be the father of many nations. Don't even call yourself Abram anymore. Call yourself by the vision I'm giving you. Father of many nations. And he keeps showing up and saying, dude, they're coming. They're coming like the stars in the sky. They're coming like the sand on the seashore. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Hold on to the vision. God's repetition of the vision for Abraham wasn't pointless. It wasn't just stuff the authors of the Bible wrote in there for no, for no reason. This was life and death to this guy. He was 75 when God shows up and says, I have a vision for you. I need you to believe that you're the father of many nations. But it would be 25 more years of hanging on. 25 years. Do you think there's any task or mission that God could have given Abram to have him hang on until 100 years old? Can you imagine? What would that look like, task-wise? Like, Abraham, Sarah... Every day at 9 o'clock, I need you guys to have some special married time. Just trust me, you know, just do this task for me. It's going to end well. Or a mission. Can you imagine that? would be crass, wouldn't it? Your mission is to have a kid. I've been trying for 75 years. It's your mission. Go do it. How much better to give him a vision? You will be the father of many nations. The whole earth is going to be blessed through you. I'm going to honor you. People are going to say your name, and it will be a blessing. Isn't that awesome? You almost don't even have to give any tasks. I'm pretty sure he knew what to do when God cast the vision. I mean, he, he definitely knew what to do. 75 is not bad, All right, they didn't have to have any more talks about that. Anyway, the vision God gave Abraham of who he was helped Abraham overcome his own awareness of his limitations. He beat himself with the vision God gave him. So vision is really good for combating Satan. It's really good for combating your own limitations. But I want to really say this, and of course we knew it was coming. Vision can take on Kronos himself, this big nasty guy. People like to say time is undefeated. You know, time takes everybody out. You know, you can't stop time. Nonsense. We're going to look at that. And the man who cast the vision that can beat Kronos is none other than Jesus himself. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you have the longest single discourse recorded in the Bible of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount. 
It is so practical, it hurts. I mean, if you read it through a practical lens, literally, Jesus is saying, don't be a lustful guy. Don't be an angry guy. Don't be a jerk. Be forgiving. You shouldn't worry. I mean, this is all, none of it is like lofty spiritual stuff, right? I mean, it really isn't. Trust me, I'll provide for you. God knows what you want. You want to know how to pray? Okay, here's how you pray. But the ending, the ending is intense because it ends with a vision tacked on to the do's and don'ts. And we all know this story. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. He follows that up with the inverse. He's like the guy who built a house and didn't build it on the rock. Man, the flood and the rain and the storm came, knocked that thing down, and it was really bad. That's a vision, guys. Now, what is it a vision of exactly? Some people say that the storms and the floods are just things that happen in life. Maybe. I mean, you can certainly make that point, right? Certainly there are going to be some metaphorical storms and floods coming in 2018. We can say that with authority because they've come every year before 2018. <laughs> but if you read the scariest verses in the Bible, in my opinion, immediately preceding this, in Matthew 7, 21-23, you will see that Jesus' context is likely ultimate judgment and death. You're going to meet the judge after you die. It's appointed to a man once to die, and then the judgment. It's absolute. Spoiler alert, Jesus told us all authority has been given to him. The judge is telling the parable. I think we should listen. And he's saying, don't just not lust, and don't just not be angry, and don't just placate people and be a forgiving guy, because... You're doing that because I need you to build your house on the rock so that when the storm of judgment comes, you can be confident. Now that might seem kind of severe, but that's a decent vision, making it through judgment. But you might say, yeah, that's good, but that doesn't exactly show, you know, I mean, we kind of we still die, Anthony, so how do we beat Kronos? Aha! This entails the ultimate end. And even though the Bible says things, they would seem to be bitter and depressing like this from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, man. I still don't even know read it. It's, it's, check it out. It's a trip, man. This is from Ecclesiastes 7. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. The author of Ecclesiastes said, you know what? Kronos is coming for you. You are going to die. Let that frame how you live. That's kind of bleak. Jesus came along a while after this was written and said, but you can build your house on the rock. And you don't have to be afraid of any flood or storm that might happen after death. And the real picture is, death gets defeated itself. Paul said it this way, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Death loses. Father time does not win. For Christians, the death and decay that 
Kronos praise are eventually ended, and we live forever on a new earth with a new heaven. That's not meaningless or arbitrary or just flowery language. That's important. The Bible says that the people that are in Christ have already passed from death to life. Kronos has already lost. He can still be real mad. He can still do stuff. He can still have ups and downs. 2018 is going to have some good things and some bad things, just like we said before. But ultimately, Jesus is saying, if you build your house on the rock, you do not have to be afraid. And eventually, the end of the story is, you and me are going to stand there, and we're going to get rid of this death thing. It's all going to lose. You're going to win. Build your house on the rock. That is a pretty good vision for why. Not a bad why. Pretty powerful, in my opinion. So this year, do not make a resolution. I implore you not to add or detract an activity. This year, please get a vision. Get a vision. And I'll tell you, I want to ask you to get a vision the same way every single person that we've just talked about got it. With God and from God. Because that's the only one you can be sure of and that's the only one that's going to stick. And if you don't know how to do that, here are three questions you might want to ask. What is your purpose? Get a vision for it. God loves to tell you. That's what he told Adam and Eve. He gave them a vision of who they are and their purpose. Which leads us into number two. Who are you? And get ready for God's answer. Because in the case of Abram, it was not who he thought he was. But God's vision is trustworthy and can be believed. And it can carry you through your own self-doubt. And lastly, why? Ask the frightening question. Why? And ask it about all kinds of stuff. But don't just ask it and get despondent and go into a state of depression. Ask it, sit with the Lord and wait for an answer and seek it out when it's not immediately apparent. Why? Why am I doing this? Why am I acting this way? Why do I have this purpose? What are we going for? What's the end of the story? And if you just don't know how to fill this out or if the whole thing is puzzling, I will give you some pretty good pre-prepared answers. What is your purpose? Adam and Eve's purpose. Make it your purpose in 2018 to bring order to your world and to stamp out evil wherever you find it within yourself. For the good of the world, please start with you. Good. FYI. Nice. Before, you start, <laughs> before you start going stamping out evil everywhere else, plank in the eye kind of thing, that's not bad. That'll take your whole year, most likely. But if you want some more, who are you? Here's a good vision. It's Abraham's vision. Find out who God says you are. It's not a bad vision to say by the end of 2018, I want to have a pretty good handle on who God says I am. And if you already know, get a vision for how you can walk in that. And lastly, why? The why of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave is pretty good, man. Pretty good. I want to build my life on the rock and love and trust God more in 2018 than I did in 2017. None of these are weak. None of these are just merely tasks, and none of these really are even missions. You want a big picture. You want a powerful why. You want something that can drive you. And if you have that, if you have that, you can plow through 2018 like you have a V8 engine. And Kronos can throw at you whatever he wants, and you will be undeterred in the deepest part of who you are, come what may, even if you die, you still win. And the Bible says it this way. 
Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach down into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Because Kronos and whatever he wants to do are not directing their course. Amen. The vision is. Thank you guys. I'm going to give you a chance to